Hello, and welcome to episode 229 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with... Jason Rabinowitz and Ian, I thought you are supposed to be on vacation. I am on vacation. This is the miracle of recorded sound allows us to sort of make liars of ourselves. We were supposed to be off this week, but as is the universe's cruel, cruel bend, big news came out pretty much right after we hit stop on the last recording. None of it bad news, just No, not bad news. Just big news. We have to clarify, usually when we put out a special podcast, it's because something horrible has happened. But in this case, it's just things. It's just things. Big enough to spend a few minutes at the end of the current week. So episode 228 is out. Hopefully you're listening to it or listened to it. And then we're going to record this one today to talk about some of the things that happened this week. Nothing too you know, time sensitive here, but just some interesting stuff that we thought was worth mentioning. And then we'll really be on vacation. I promise. All right. All right. Let's get into it. So Air India has a brand new look. They got a brand new everything coming up. They'll have hundreds of new aircraft. And now we know they will have a brand new brand identity, including livery and completely new in-flight products, which is very interesting. And there's even a little controversy over some of the registration numbers they picked for their their mocked-up aircraft, which I think is kind of funny, but we'll get to that. Yeah. So let's talk about, you want to start from the inside out or go from the outside in? Let's go outside in. I think most people care about what's on the outside. Sure. So on the outside, we go from the old kind of smaller titles above the windows, the red tail with the, I guess it's half of the logo type, and then the iconic red window framings. And the airline says that they have changed the window framings around each window and expanded on that idea to make, they call it the hero window frame tip tail fin. So instead of having window frames around each window, the entire tail is now a window frame in a deeper red aubergine or eggplant for those in the US and gold. So it's like they took a window frame around each window and just threw it on the tail, and then they gave the forward fuselage a lovely billboard splash Air India in a font they are calling Air India Sands. And it wouldn't be a mid-2020s airline rebrand without very large belly titles. Yes, very important context there. I'm a bit split on this. For one The logo itself that Air India will be using for its brand, I think, is pretty uninspired. It's just the words Air India and and kind of the window frame icon tilted 45 degrees, very bland. But the the livery of the aircraft itself, I think they – not quite a grand slam, but it is certainly – better than many of the livery refreshes we've seen over the past few years. And uh, I like some of the attention to detail with the red engine cowling with the gold ring around the inlet, it looks like. The wingtips have the same window frame design that we saw in the past. The word mark is nice and large. So overall, it's a little bit busy, but it's certainly better than some we've seen years past. It's certainly more modern, 
the outgoing livery certainly needed a, a refresh. Yeah. And I think that the older livery, especially on the newer aircraft, just doesn't work. But I want to give you what Campbell Wilson, who's the CEO and managing director of Air India, said about the new livery. And, then, and I want to see if, if you think that the new livery is hits that mark. He says, quote, our transformative new brand reflects an ambition to make Air India a world-class airline serving guests from around the globe. And that represents a new India proudly on the global stage. So the new livery to me, I think reflects a much more international focus. And I mean, with so many new wide-body aircraft coming into the fleet, I mean, they've got 40 A350s on order and 27 87s and 10 777Xs. That's a lot of wide bodies. Yeah, a lot of airplanes. That are going to be flying far from India. Not to forget also the Vistara fleet that they'll be absorbing too. So there's even more aircraft to take in to account. Right. And it's existing fleet, which we know now that the at least the 777-300ER fleet will be sticking around. Don't quite know about the, the 200LR fleet. It sucked up after Delta let those go, regrettably. But we know that 300ERs will be sticking around and getting this livery. So an interesting refresh. I think it certainly fits the bill of what they say they're trying to do. And there's a photo in the show notes and, and a link to the blog post that includes a number of photos and kind of the, the brand refresh explanation that Air India posted. I mean, it really all comes down to how, how does it look on an actual aircraft? And for that, we have to wait until later in the year. The first A350 to enter Air India's fleet will begin is scheduled to begin service in December, which means they'll have to take delivery before then, which means it'll have to be painted before then. So I would look for the aircraft to be painted sometime late October, early November is my best guess before it you know, goes through its final flight testing and goes to Air India and then is inducted into service. So keep an eye on that and we'll look for the first photos out of Toulouse later this fall. Yeah, those will be nice to see. A lot yeah. of new air pre- airplanes coming pretty quickly to Air India. So Jason, we it's- talked about the outside. Let's talk about the inside. What are they doing inside the aircraft? They're doing a lot. Um, this is what's really going to make or break the new Air India, I, I think. Regardless of what the paint is, what the brand is, Air India has a tarnished brand image for the last, let's say, two decades for operating really, really subpar interiors. You don't book Air India because you think the seats are nice or you like the meal or you like the entertainment because there's a chance that the entertainment probably doesn't work or the seat is four generations old and is broken in some way. Uh, the old Air India really, really let itself go in that regard. The new Air India, we've seen what will be coming to the refurbished 777-300ER, which should start flying the middle of 2024, they said. They're spending $400 million to completely refurbish its fleet of 43 wide-body aircraft. So I assume that takes into account all of the 787-8s it has in its fleet as well as the 777s. They're going big. They are looking to do not just economy, of course, but adding premium economy, which Air India has not previously had, a new business class, and also reintroducing first class, which is an interesting move. It's Uh not... Yeah, not your traditional super luxe first class. It's more of kind of a, a business 
plus product in its own little mini cabin, which is kind of the industry trend right now. So it, it's not something outrageously nice, but it is a segmented first class product, which I think Air India had last on uh, its 747s and maybe a 777-300ER. Not quite sure about that, but it wasn't a popular product. But the trick is for Air India, it has to roll these products out on time and actually keep them maintained, which for a lot of airlines is the tricky part. You can't just install the product, set it, forget it, and let it go. You actually have to keep these very complicated, complex products in a functional state. Otherwise, the first time someone flies the new Air India and they get a broken entertainment screen or a broken seat, they're probably not going to come back if they can avoid it. So it'll be very interesting to watch Air India go from, honestly, in my opinion, one of the worst airlines product-wise to what looks like could be one of the nicest out there. Yeah. I mean, and like you said, it's all in the execution. If they install these things and then the service doesn't match or the the maintenance doesn't match or the, you know, anything in the soft product doesn't match, the catering, the entertainment options on board. I mean, attracting a premium crowd, which really seems what they're trying to do here. It's a premium heavy aircraft. Yeah. It, it's very yeah. different from the current fleet of high density economy, also featuring some business class. This is a interesting move with a, a lot of premium seats on board this aircraft, at least for the 777. Right, right. And I don't think we know the, the breakdown for the incoming new aircraft, the A350, 900s or, or 1000s. But with any rebrand, the execution is going to be the real kicker. And it sounds like they're you know really committed to this. They're giving it a go. And you know what? If Air India and India as a nation wants to compete with Dubai and Abu Dhabi and Doha, this is how they're going to have to do it. They're going to have to roll out these Lux products and actually maintain them because that's really what they're going after here, that they want to capture back the traffic they've lost to the Middle Eastern airlines because Air India proved itself not to be a worthy competitor. They want to compete again. And I, I say, go for it. Who wouldn't want more competition on the medium to high end? People don't fly Air India because it's a nice airline, but maybe that changes. Maybe that changes. We shall see. And also Vistara is there. I don't know. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I don't know the next time I'll be able to fly Air India, but it would be fun to have that option, especially yeah. on such a nice aircraft. If you happen to see the renderings of the aircraft that Air India put out, take a close look at the registration of that aircraft for a <laughs> little indication at what they might be going after. Because it, it, it's not subtle, I don't think. <laughs> I mean- what it made me question is whether or not this was a real rendering, because that's the first thing I saw. And then I was like, wait, are they, did they really? So that particular piece of artwork is in the blog post linked in the show notes, also on the on the Flight Rider 24 blog. So you can just check out the Art Air India post to, to see exactly what we're talking about. We'll leave it there just to leave some mystery. And then we'll move on to a mystery solved, sort of. The NTSB released its final report on United Flight 1722, which is the United 777 that departed Hawaii last December and made a very steep dive towards the ocean before recovering and continuing on its flight. The incident was first reported by John Ostrower's Air Current in February of 2023. And after... The air current made their report, the NTSB began its investigation. 
the NTSB had not been notified by the airline because it did not meet certain criteria for airlines reporting an incident to the NTSB, but the NTSB has discretion when to begin an investigation, and in this case, chose to do so. By then, the cockpit voice recorder and the flight data recorder were long gone. They would have been gone before the flight even arrived anyway. Yeah, yeah. They used radar data and other data as well as interviews with the flight crew to better understand what happened. What they found, the probable cause as, and I'll quote the NTSB's final report here, and then we can kind of dissect that, quote, the flight crew's failure to manage the airplane's vertical flight path, airspeed, and pitch attitude following a miscommunication about the captain's desired flap setting during the initial climb. So here's what happened. The captain, who was the pilot flying, decided to go with a flaps 20 takeoff and full power because the weather was poor. So after takeoff, the captain called for flaps five. The first officer thought he heard the captain request flaps 15. Did you get that right? I hope so. I think you did. I think I did too. This stuff is confusing. I think we've just proved how this can happen. Uh-huh. Okay. Investigation concluded. <laughs> there you go. So what happened was is the, the aircraft's pitch attitude decreased and the airspeed increased as the flaps were then moved up to flaps one because the captain called for flaps one quickly after calling for flaps five, but the flaps had only been set to flaps 15. Then they were moved up. The captain then initiated a controlled flight into terrain recovery, and the flight continued on. They got to within 748 feet above the water's surface. Not great at all. And in this case, of course, there were ground proximity warning systems, or in this case, I guess, water proximity warning system alerts going off. The 777 was chiming pull up, which of course they heard. So this could have very well been a controlled flight into terrain situation. Thankfully, it was not. The crew was able to avert such an incident. Honestly, I just find it fascinating that the, the NTSB was able to piece together this definitive report just on crew statements and, I quote, other records as information sources that the crew was able to remember what happened, give their account, even though the official recordings of the event were long gone. If I recall correctly, the flight crew filed a report not long after landing. And I'm not sure if it was one of the FAA's flight safety reports or a report just with the airline, but I believe there was a record of what happened not long after the flight. So yeah, I think it was filed with the airline itself. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know if they relied on that to kind of continue the conversation uh, with the NTSB. It is interesting to see that a small bit of confusion not long after takeoff can lead to a very dire situation very quickly. But in this case, it was caught, corrected, and some of the automated systems that are there to keep the aircraft and the crew and all of the passengers safe worked as intended. And their training kicked in and and they were able to continue the flight. Last two weeks ago, we talked about the NASA Aroma campaign. And we talked about why NASA DC-8 was flying low over major cities, including Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles. And we then got an email from someone who works at NASA. 
Fantastic. And I love when this happens because all of the things that I read on the Aroma Project did not explain what this fine person who works at NASA, I don't know if they want to be identified, so so we won't identify them at this point, but they are a, a NASA scientist and meteorologist. And they wrote in to explain why the flight paths are the way they are and kind of what they're trying to study. So I'll read a few excerpts from their fascinating email. The planetary boundary layer is where most of our air pollution we emit from the surface gets trapped And that's the stratified brown layer you see when you take off and eventually rise above it as the aircraft ascends. The ozone or photochemical smog that we're interested in measuring is ozone that's produced low in the atmosphere, usually in the boundary layer, from human emissions and is different from the protective ozone layer in the stratosphere that has been susceptible to chlorofluorocarbons. So in short, ozone down low is produced through a process called photochemistry, nitrogen oxides emitted from the combustion processes, and volatile organic compounds such as formaldehyde are basically cooked by UV energy from the sun and ozone is produced. So different ozone than the ozone high up in the stratosphere. So I feel like that's really important to know. Yes. The DC-8 will not be investigating yeah. the stratosphere. <laughs> no, they have different planes for that. So they continue on that the objectives for the Aroma campaign are very long, a few really important ones. Better quantify the spatial, temporal, and vertical distribution of emission sources in large coastal urban areas to better understand the impacts on climate and air quality. That one makes perfect sense. The overwater component's important here because a lot of the emissions from coastal cities get transported over water where different types of chemistry happen. Science is so cool. So they have to study what happens over the cities, but also over the water, because what happens to the pollution over the water is different than what happens to the pollution over the land. Which would explain why they're over the lake outside of Chicago and why they're exactly. over Long Island Sound outside of New York. There's purpose to what they're doing. Imagine that. There's so many purposes. And the other one I thought was really cool is that they're taking all these measurements with the aircraft to help validate NASA's first geostationary air quality satellite called Tempo, which was launched in April. So they're taking these measurements from the satellite, then they're taking the measurements from the aircraft, and they're making sure that they match up. And then here's the cool information about the DC-8 flight plan. So the top level goals are all of those understandings about the ozone and how chemistry interacts and and things like that. So to meet those goals, they have to fly within the planetary boundary layer, which is why they were flying so low. But then those spirals are important because they provide the full profile of the air pollution from just above the surface within the boundary layer all the way above it. So that is the part that really helps validate how the satellite observes the emissions and how it changes in different levels. And then the two other aircraft, the G3 and the G5 Gulfstreams, have remote sensing equipment on board that can map all of those emissions with spectrometers and LIDARs. So you get this entire vertical profile of all of air pollution. So the missions, I mean, from an aviation geek perspective, were awesome because there was a DC-8 flying low above the city, and that's really cool. From an airborne science perspective, it just gets so much cooler the more you learn about what they're doing and how they're doing it. So thank you, NASA meteorologist, who shall remain unnamed at the moment, for writing in with all this great information. 
Yeah, very, very good stuff. And now we have reason to know why the aircraft was making those spirals. It wasn't just for fun. There was we knew it reason. wasn't for fun, but now we know exactly why. Yeah, And now we know it wasn't just because they wanted to spend a lot of time on the Aroma mission over Aroma Park. Well, maybe <laughs> yeah. they wanted to do that too, but they spent a lot of time over yeah. Aroma Park for science, which is an for even science. better reason. It's all for they science. Knocked out, they knocked out both causes for science and for fun in one shot. What could be better? <laughs> I can't think of anything. I cannot think of anything better. Certainly not this next story, because this is still just bizarre to me. Mexico's government has been trying to bring back the Mexicana brand for a while now, for at least a couple of years. And the big sticking point had been agreements with the former Mexicana unions because they had basically all been fired and were still after their compensation that they felt that they were owed. So there had been a lot of ongoing discussions, shall we say, and they finally reached an agreement. And so the government of Mexico yesterday, in presence of a, I don't even know what to call this model of a Mexicana aircraft. An attempt was made. Yeah, an attempt at what I'm not sure, but an attempt nonetheless. Anyway, in the presence of this particular model, they announced that they're bringing the airline back with a start of 10 737-800s. The airline will be overseen by the defense ministry and led by a Mexican Air Force general. So I guess service is going to be great. Sure. can be punctual, I know. One would hope. This whole thing to me is just beyond- Look, if, if there's a way that Mexicans- moment. If there's a way that Mexico's current federal government can screw around with the aviation sector, they are going to find a way to do it and do it and do it. They before. really are. Because every decision they've made from ceasing construction on the New Mexico City airport to restarting Mexicana to just everything they've done. Moving all of the cargo traffic to the secondary airport forcefully. Still not resuming their increased FAA safety ratings. So that's an issue. And then there's this whole thing with Viva Airbus and I think, what was it, Allegiant, was it? Trying to fly to Mexico? That's still not happening. There's just, whatever they do, it just seems like it's a bad call. And this... I don't know. I'm reading an article from the AP about this that seems to imply that the new Mexicana or Mexico's federal government will take not only the 737-800s from Boeing, but also pilots and cabin crew, which I didn't even know was a thing you could do. Maybe the wording here is poor. Maybe that's not what's happening. Maybe the military is providing pilots and cabin crew, but the way it's worded really makes it seem like they're taking almost kind of like a white lease entirely from Boeing, which is one way to do it. Yeah, I don't understand that. If that's written correctly, if that particular bit of information is just not poorly worded or poorly edited, then I don't understand. If what they are saying is that they're going to have military pilots and military cabin crew, that I I don't understand really either. And then we've got the defense secretary promising that tickets would be 18 to 20% below private competitors. And I quote the AP article, but was unsure if the airline would profitable. So it's missing a word there. I'm guessing they're they're not sure the airline would be profitable because they're going to artificially decrease the costs of tickets regardless of profitability by injecting the airline with government subsidies. This seems like a terrible idea. Every step of this is a bad idea. On one hand, you have Aeromexico 
freshly out of bankruptcy, trying to get its act together, and it's doing quite well. It's not going to take kindly to a new domestic government-funded, subsidized, wholly unprofitable competitor that it, it can't compete with. I don't know why they're doing this, what they think they're going to get out of it, but it seems like everybody is going to lose, except for, I guess, domestic Mexican air passengers who might be able to snag an air ticket for 20% below what it should cost until suddenly the money runs out in a new administration. The new Mexicana can't operate at its substantial losses. And uh, oh, also Aeromexico is not a thing anymore because they've been run out of business by a federally supported monster. I do not understand most of what's going on down there. And at this point, it's very clear that almost none of it has anything to do with the actual aviation aspects of it. And decisions are not being made in, hmm, I guess the word for it is a sound manner, a logical manner. I just, it doesn't make any sense to me why you would want to do this. But it'll be basically a, a low cost carrier model, single class 737 800s with 180 seats, quote, quality service at an affordable cost. Sure. We shall see. Sure. All right. Let's close this particular episode with some good news. Last week, we talked about the Lego Concorde coming out. And we didn't really know much. And then, of course, after we hit record, hit stop on the record button, Lego released all of the details that you need to know. So here's what's happening Lego is releasing a gigantic Concorde set. This set is going to be 42 inches long, 105 centimeters, 17 inches wide, 43 centimeters, and six inches high, 15 centimeters. It is going to include 2,083 pieces, and it is going to cost not actually as much as I thought, but still not cheap, $199.99. The set will be available on the 7th of September if you are a Lego VIP member, which I mean, who isn't? You can buy the set on the 4th of September. So Fantastic. I'm thoroughly excited about Clear getting my hands space. on this particular set. You'll need a nice landing area for that aircraft. And that reminds me, I should go see the actual Concorde <laughs> that was floated you on should. down to the Brooklyn Navy Yard a few blocks away from me. Forgot to mention that, but the Intrepid Grab air. Grab a paintbrush and go help them repaint it. Yeah, the Intrepid's Concorde on the west side of Manhattan was barged, floated over from one borough to another here in Brooklyn for, I guess, some rehab work going on through, I think, at least the end of the year, just a few blocks end away from year, me. Yeah. I'm going to go go check it out, see what I can see. Can't put it on my coffee table or anything like a Lego model. No, but. decidedly not. No. I think we left last episode with you not wanting to get arrested for building the Lego set in the Navy Yard. So maybe we'll we'll leave it there this episode too, with you also not getting arrested, which seems like I think a good idea. But we had enough happen in the last two days of the week to fill an entire episode. So it'll be, I guess, an abbreviated episode coming out. Well, by the time you'll have listened to it at the end of the week, but know that we appreciate the aviation industry doing its part so that we could record a new episode and we didn't have to do a clip show. 
So thank you everyone for listening to this episode and all the rest. I will say I shared with Jason a neat little statistic that we ticked over this morning. We've now passed 5 million downloads of the podcast. So right. thanks to each and every one of you who has contributed one or you know 229 at this point of those downloads, no matter how many episodes you've listened to it, we really appreciate it. Oh, I'll also say that We keep saying emails at podcast.fr24.com and then you do and you haven't received a response for us in a while. And the reason for that was is that Google was not sending the podcast email to my email. It was receiving them all and then just decided that it didn't need to forward them on to the human and was collecting. So if you sent us an email you will be getting a response. I'm going to work my way through those as fast as I can so that you can receive the response that you deserve. So if you sent us an email, I'm so sorry that we haven't received it in the last few weeks at least. I'll have to see how far it goes back for sure, but very sorry. And from now on, we fixed it. So you can email us at podcast at fr24.com. But until the next episode, thank you all so very much for listening. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.